0: Hi, my name is Gary, and I am so blessed to be one of the pastors here at Providence Church. And I'm so happy to be present with you in this way today. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, open your word to us. Give us ears to hear. Help me to be a faithful messenger. Your people are hungry to hear From you, Lord, speak. Speak, Lord. Amen. Listen to these words from 1 Samuel. God addressed Samuel. So how long are you going to mope over Saul? You know, I've rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your flask with anointing oil and get going. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've spotted the very king I want among his sons. I can't do that, said Samuel. Saul will hear about it and will kill me. Make sure Jesse gets invited. I'll let you know what to do next. I'll point out the one you are to anoint. Samuel did what God told him. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the town fathers greeted him, but apprehensively, is there something wrong? Nothing wrong. I've come to sacrifice this heifer and lead you in the worship of God. Prepare yourselves, be consecrated and called to worship. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliah and thought, here he is, God's anointed. But God told Samuel, looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and statue. I've already eliminated him, God. I've already eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face. God looks into the heart. Jesse then called in Abimadad and presented him to Samuel. Samuel said, this man isn't God's choice either. Next, Jesse presented Shammah. Samuel said, no, this man isn't either. Jesse presented his seven sons to Samuel. Samuel was blunt with Jesse. God hasn't chosen any of these. Then he asked Jesse, is this it? Are there no more sons? Well, yes, there's the runt, but he's out tending the sheep. Samuel ordered Jesse, go get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. Jesse sent for him. He was brought in, the very picture of health, bright-eyed, good-looking. God said, upon your feet, anoint him, this is the one. Samuel took the flask of oil and anointed him with his brothers standing around watching. The Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind, God vitality empowering him for the rest of his life. Samuel left and went home to Ramah. Our scripture reading today has all the ingredients of a good suspense movie, or TV miniseries. The highlights to me seem more like trailers to a good movie. You know, the trailers are the tidbits that get you interested and help you to want to know more. Listen to a few tidbits. The storyline begins this way. There is a divine and supernatural action God speaks to the prophet. A once faithful and now faithless leader, Saul, the first king of Israel, has been rejected, and he is not fully aware of his rejection. The prophet Samuel, who anointed Saul, is tasked to anoint a new leader. The prophet is conflicted afraid of Saul and complains to God. Samuel does an uncharacteristic thing and shows up uninvited in Bethlehem. The town leaders are a little afraid that something must be wrong. He's unannounced. We didn't know he was coming. Samuel assures the town leaders and invites them to worship God with him. Then Samuel begins to look for God's chosen one among the sons of Jesse. He interviews visually all seven of Jesse's sons. I could imagine as he had the sons go before him, he was wondering, are you the one? He is reminded that God does not look at the outside. He is reminded that God judges people differently. He inquires after seeing seven sons. If there is yet another son. And then the youngest son, David, is brought before Samuel. Samuel immediately recognizes David as the one. The text says he's a good-looking boy. But more than looks, he has a chosenness to him by God's grace, and it is apparent. Immediately, David is anointed as the future king while his brothers watch. The mission is accomplished. The prophet leaves Bethlehem for home. It seems like the end of the story, maybe the end of the drama, the end of the movie, but, well, not quite, because the anointing is just the beginning. Remember, I said, this scripture reads like a good suspense movie. Well, the life of David is more like an action drama, and yes, a mini-series, and it has many complex parts. We discover that the anointing of David by Samuel is just the beginning. A lot of stuff happens between anointing, chosenness, and kingship. He quickly enters the court of Saul. He plays the harp, the Bible says, to soothe the king. When the king is depressed, he calls upon David to play the harp and soothe the spirit of his mind. David becomes a trusted member of the court, and even the armor-bearer to King Saul. David proves himself in battle. He fights the Philistine giant Goliath and seizes him. He grows in popularity and people are singing songs about David. David's a ladies' man. The ladies are singing, Saul has slain thousands, but David, David has slain 10,000. King Saul becomes jealous and angry. And begins to plot David's death. You see, King Saul clearly recognized David as a warrior. He recognized him as a valuable team member. He recognized him as an obedient servant, a favored man, an effective leader, but he also saw him as a potential successor and threat. The drama elevates David then marries Saul's daughter, Michael. He continues to defeat the armies of Saul. Saul tries to kill David with a spear on more than one occasion. But in the midst of the conflict between David and Saul, Jonathan, the son of King Saul, befriends David and pledges loyalty to David. He is faithful to David in spite of his dad's unreasonable responses. The journey from anointing to kingship is full of intrigue and difficulties and turns. One moment, he is a model leader living, and another moment, he's living less than his potential. One moment, David is a man after God's own heart, In another moment, he is controlled by his desires. In one moment, David is dancing half naked in the streets before the Lord in worship. And in another moment, he's plotting the death of Uriah so that he can take Bathsheba as his wife. In another moment, David and Bathsheba become the parents of Solomon, the wise and future king. The life of David provides good content for a good suspense movie miniseries and will be unpacked in the weeks ahead. But today, David enters the story unlikely, unnoticed, and anointed. David is unlikely. He is from a sleepy little village called Bethlehem. It is about six miles south of the big city, the well-known city, Jerusalem. One might even wonder if anything good could come out of Bethlehem. David is unlikely, he is unnoticed. He has seven brothers who stood ahead of him in any pecking order because he spent most of his time tending sheep. But David is also anointed. God chose him. Chosenness is a key indicator of anointing. There was no straight path for the anointing from the anointing to kingship. There was a whole lot of life in the in-between and a whole lot of imperfection and a whole lot of stuff. However, he appears to be the original comeback artist. His failures and his successes brought him back to God, either in repentance, God, I'm sorry, or either in celebratory worship, His legacy is not defined by his failures and his successes. His legacy is defined by his chosenness and his ability to return, to come back to God. Said another way, David gets knocked down a lot. Said another way, he takes a lot of detour, detours from the path of God. Said another way, he continues to return. You see, he came back. He comes back often to the heart of worship. I believe David, the psalmist, David, the song leader, could identify with the lyrics penned by Mark Redmond. Listen to these lyrics. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Though the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. I believe God wants us to come back to worship, and the worship is all about God. Maybe you have felt unlikely. Maybe you have felt unlikely and a bit insecure and a bit inferior because it seemed that there were always others who were better and more capable and more likely. Maybe you felt unnoticed. Perhaps you thought that there's nothing to distinguish you from the crowd so nobody notices you at all. If either is true, then you are in good company. You see, David felt unlikely and unnoticed. Esther in the king's palace felt unlikely, unnoticed. Gideon, while threshing wine and hiding, felt unlikely and unnoticed. Ruth felt unlikely, but yet God chose each of these unlikelies for incredible work, Unlettered and unlearned disciples of Jesus. Who would have thought such an unlikely group? A man begging by a beautiful gator, unlikely to, to receive a healing. Another languishing for healing around a pool of water for a long time. A woman in need of a healing touch. A boy with a fish sandwich and a hungry crowd All unlikelies. Can anything good come out of your hometown? Can anything good come out of your family? Can anything good come out of your circumstance? I have a friend who follows me on Facebook. I've known him more than 30 years. And believe it or not, he is from Alligator, Mississippi. I didn't know there was such a place until I met him. It's a real place. My friend will routinely call me after some exotic post or adventure, and he would always begin the conversation something like this. Who would have thought a boy from Jackson, Mississippi And then he would fill in the blanks. He would continue to say, can anything good come out of Jackson? Can anything good come out of Alligator, Mississippi? And then we would begin to marvel regarding how good God has been in both our lives. I stand before you as Samuel today. As he stood before the sons of Jesse, and ask this question, are you the one? It is the same question asked by the disciples of John the Baptist when they came to Jesus. They asked Jesus, are you the one? If there is any doubt to the affirmative answer, yes to the question, are you the one I remind you of this biblical declaration it is a statement of identity hear these words from first Peter chapter 2 verse nine but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into the wonderful light. The message translation of the same verse reads this way. But you are the ones chosen by God for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do work and speak out in his name, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Our anointing lies in our chosenness. God chooses us. I ask you again, are you the one? There is no need to line up in secession and ask the question. Each of us, each of you have a chosen place, each of us have an anointing before God. God made a promise to David over him and in him. God makes a promise to us, over us and in us. It's time to come back to what he called us to. He calls us to a recognition of our anointing. We all have an opportunity to be a Samuel to someone. We all have a Samuel, or shall I say a Samantha in our lives? I have so many of both. But let me tell you about one of my Samanthas. I knew her as Mrs. Woods. Her full name was Ethel Alice Woods, and she was my piano teacher in the fourth grade. Yes, I studied piano. She was also a member of our church. She served on the mission board, but she told me the same thing every time I saw her at every piano lesson. Whenever I saw her at church, she said the same thing. She, for me, has become a Samuel, a, a Samantha in my life. She did not ask if I was the one she told me I was the one. This is what she said to me on more occasions than I care to remember, and I did not like to hear it then. She would say, you gonna be a preacher one day. Oh, I hated for her to say that. I didn't like it. I would even avoided her sometimes, but in hindsight, Mrs. Woods was a Samuel, she was a Samantha to me because she saw an anointing and she saw a chosenness that I could not see. She did not have to wonder if I was the one. She told me I was the one. Mrs. Woods, as we called her, was one of those shouting messages. We would sing hymns on first Sunday during communion as folk would proceed down front to the kneeling rail to receive communion. And it'd be a lot of hymns we would sing because it was a large congregation. But in in the midst of the hymnody, we would pause every first Sunday and we would sing a hymn by Bill Gaither, a song by Bill Gaither called, He Touched Me. Listen to the lyrics. Shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Since I met the blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole. I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me, oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me and made me whole. It was predictable about the second stanza of the singing of that song when we as a congregation would come to that line where it says, he touched me and all oh, the joy that flood my soul. Mrs. Woods would begin to shout. She would cry out praise to God. As a child and as children with my friends, we always thought it was a little funny because it was predictable. She always shouted and cried out at the same time on the first Sunday, every first Sunday of every year that we could remember, she shouted. I don't know the details of why she shouted on this song, on this phrase, every first Sunday during communion. But I'm convinced like David that Miss Woods had gone through some stuff, some ups and downs and some sideways and some backwards and some imperfect moments and some tough times. And when we got to, he touched me. She would be overwhelmed with joy because I suspect she was remembering a God who can be trusted. A God who can be trusted. I know that you have gone through some stuff. I know that you are, we are still going through some stuff. But do you know, do you know that God can be trusted? Oh, do you really know when it's tough? when it's dark, when you can't see your way? Do you know that God can be trusted? Oh, I ask you two questions right now. And the first is this. Are you the one? Do you have clear knowledge of a sense of chosenness and a sense that you belong to God. If you do, you are sensing the anointing that is yours because God has claimed you as his own. If you're able to say yes to your chosenness and and then to your anointing, I now ask you a second and a final question. Are you ready for a comeback. Are you ready? I mean, really ready for a comeback. Well, I don't know what your response is right now, but I'm clear as I turn my head and my vision and my eyes again to the God our maker, I cry out today, Lord, I'm ready ready for a comeback oh I hope you're ready I hope you're eager I hope you are longing for a comeback thank you Jesus thank you Jesus hallelujah amen